qui a coupé le fromage? Mihatachet haglina. Panir kisnekata. Well, despite my lousy pronunciations, I think we all know the answer. I'm sure it was you, one of our dear Napa Valley lovers. I certainly have on occasion. And most definitely, our guest today is responsible for many, many times over doing just that. It's Janet Fletcher, world's expert on cheese, columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, multi-James Beard award-winning food writer. She's got quite a story to tell. Lots of fun to be had with her today, along with our mad musical genius, Gordon Lustig, who is going to compose an original song about Janet while the show is live. Tons of fun. Before we get to it, of course, I want to invite you to come visit me. I would love to say hello. Let's sip some wine. Let's stare out at the verdant vines of Napa Valley together. Judd's Hill Winery, that's my family's winery, is located at the south end of Silverado Trail here in Napa Valley. Visiting information can be found at www.juddshill.com. And while you're there, check out all the tabs. Look at our events. Look at our videos. Look at photos. Get recipes. On and on. Put some wine in your shopping cart. We'll send it to you. And while you're shopping, type in JNVS, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, all in lowercase letters, JNVS, and get 15% off your entire wine order. If you're a member of our wine club, you'll get an even better deal than that, of course. And I can't say it enough times. You'll get wine. Wines that are not available to anyone else. Exclusive wines. You will get invitations to parties, events. You will get recipes to pair with the wines, along with all those invitations. Let us plan your social life here in Napa Valley as a member of our Judd's Hill Wine Club. Information is also at juddshill.com. There's no cost to join, and you're going to enjoy it. And you're also going to enjoy today's show. Enjoy. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa with Janet Fletcher. Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lord Mole, and here's your host, Judd Fingelstein. Good morning, Lauren. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day to you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How about you, Judd? I'm very well. It's a beautiful Wintry day, hard to believe. It's a little cool, but the sun is shining. It's gorgeous, as it always is in Napa Valley. It is. How are you? You've got a big TV thing happening, right? I do. I'm starting on the Tracy Ricard Show on Comcast Channel 104, the hometown network. But I know you're not much of a TV guide, so <laughs> I, I do apologize, Judd. I don't watch much TV. I like TV. I just don't happen sure. to... I, you know what? I'm just too busy of a man. I can't be bothered with that to sit well, down and watch Well, TV. technically, but yes. But when you are on, I am going to sit down and watch. What is your role on this show? What will you be doing? Uh, I'm going to be uh, the, the invisible announcer. I might be off camera. What? That's a travesty. I mean, here we have an excuse. It's radio. Well, well, but you are such yes. a, 
a, a handsome young man. I am. People want to see where those golden pipes emanate from. Well, I'm yeah. getting a petition drive started. We want you on air, on on camera, on well, air. Well, of course, just like I am with Artie Party on the Napa Show every Wednesday night at at six o'clock on Channel Twenty Eight, and every good. Saturday night at ten o'clock. You're the man. You are the voice of Napa Valley. I am, Judd. In some respects. That respect being the voice of on-air announcing That's for right. all of the great shows of Napa Valley, of which I'm including ourselves. And we've got a great show today. In fact, we do. in studio, we have not one but two very talented people. Our regular contributor, Mr. Gordon Lustig, as I call yeah. him, the, the mad musical genius of Napa Valley. <laughs> there he is on his ukulele. And Gordon, you just played live the theme song that you that you've written for this yes. show. That's you're the guy that writes, wrote, and performs this every week. Sometimes yeah, that's via. Why it was okay that I played the wrong chord at the end. You did? Yes. Nobody would know. You wrote it, so you could say I meant to do that. I'll, we have no choice but to believe you. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I yeah, sure. I meant to play a, a new chord to show that it was live. People would go, "Hey, that was a different chord," but then they go, "Ah, it's live." What chord was that? That was a D. It should go. Uh, Judd's Napa with Janet Fletcher, Judd's Napa Valley Show, show. See, I didn't know where it went, vocally, oh. so I went to what was safe. Uh-huh. And that's, that's what you do when you're a professional. I learned that from Lauren. Well, yeah, we have a room full of professionals. Yes. Well, thank you. Wrong chord, right chord, whatever. You always strike the, the right chord. <laughs> that's what I have much. to say. You alluded to who our guest is today. Lauren, would you now like to give her a proper... I more than alluded. Oh, you kind of just gave it away, didn't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that wasn't an illusion. Miss Napa Valley Show. No, I'm just yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should we have a... Should we have a... Uh, should we have a Miss Napa Valley Show? Um, and a, a Mr. Napa Valley Show? I mean, should we have some kind of... I hate to call it a pageant, but maybe not like a... Like Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll work that out. We, we'll work that it out. might be a guess. fun like event. We could have a, a party and somehow... Anyhow... Lauren. Yes, Judd. Would you like to now give our guest her official introduction? Absolutely, Judd. An expert on cheese, the greatest, you betcha. With awards, books, and columns, she's out in front. You can't catch her. A journalistic stunner. If I had a pencil, I'd sketch her. Let's welcome today our friend... Janet Fletcher. Janet Fletcher, good morning. Good morning. I never knew there were so many words that rhymed with Fletcher. You know, you must have been familiar with the show because you came in saying, how are you going to rhyme Fletcher? And Lauren just did it. Did it. You didn't use Letcher. I'm glad glad of that. Oh, yeah. That's not probably the most complimentary type of rhyme no, to use for you. That's what came to mind. Oh, no. Let's see here. You have three James Beard Awards for your writing. You have how many books in print? Mm, in print, I don't know. I've done a couple of dozen books. A couple print, of dozen. Maybe half of those. Cookbooks, food books, yeah, cheese. Yeah, food and beverage. You are the columnist, cheese columnist for San Francisco Chronicle. We've now just established that you are an expert in the world of food and cheese. Now we can go along with the rest of the interview. How did you get to be that person? That's what I want to know. I just wanted to establish that right up front so now we can go back in your history to get you to this point. Did you where where do you come from? Do you come from a world of food? Is I that come your family from a, thing? A Velveeta world. Oh really? So we can all sort of surpass our childhoods. We can <laughs> overcome the traumas of our childhood. <laughs> hey. 
Yeah, I grew up on crummy cheese. I mean, it was it, uh, we knew company was coming when Mother bought some Cracker Barrel cheese. So <laughs> that, I didn't grow up with on good cheese, but I think that just made me appreciate it all the more when when I finally had some. Oh, okay. And where was this? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas, Big D. Mm-hmm. And not in any kind of culinary No, uh, au contraire. Yeah. Mom really did not like to cook. She was part of that generation that was very happy that there were such things as frozen vegetables and canned vegetables. Okay. And, you know, I never really had a, a fresh artichoke until I came to California. A lot oh, of yeah. fresh vegetables I never had until I came to California uh, for college. So... It was a it was a loving childhood, but in terms of food, it was a deprived childhood. Oh, I see. You know, my my father always talked about that in the world of wine as well. You know, his parents didn't drink; they didn't really even associate with people who did. But when he came to California, oh, California seems to corrupt everyone, doesn't it? In a good way. I would say it awakens our senses. <laughs> okay, that's a much nice. That's why you're the James Beard Award winning writer. <laughs> you know, you have a nicer way to say things. Uh, but yeah, it was coming to college in California, and then being exposed to these nice things that he liked. So it was college that brought you out here. And this is where you discovered. Yeah, and I really have never left. It's just, you know, why would you leave here? There's everything here for a food writer, Mm -hmm. someone who really loves the pleasures of the table. It's all right here. And all the stories were here. I think, you know, it's changed a lot over the last generation. Cool things are happening all over the country now in terms of food and, and, and beverage. But at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was getting started, the West Coast was where everything uh, originated mm-hmm. in terms of you know, trends in food and wine. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hip place. It seems to be where a lot of trends come yeah, from. It's a still. And what was it that, that caught you? What, what was, was there a moment that you said, oh my goodness, now I understand what good eating is about and I want to delve deeper? Well, that happened in France, I think, being a ex- uh, student abroad in France and oh. seeing how they live, how they pace their lives, that they make time for family meals, mm-hmm. uh, being in restaurants where they would bring that cheese cart to the table. Oh. And, oh, my gosh, I loved how the, it just slowed the pace of the meal down. You had this cart with 20 cheeses on it, and another bottle of wine would come to the table, and you'd sit around for another hour or so. And even now, that's what we do at home. I mean, we don't put out 20 cheeses or even necessarily two cheeses, but every night we end with a piece of cheese, and it's just an excuse to sit sit at the table a little longer, have another glass of wine. Enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds nice. So you came to California for college, but then did you split immediately for France? Is this the time frame we're talking about? Uh, yeah, I went, I, uh, sort of. I went to France during college for uh-huh. a semester abroad, but then right after college, I went back to France to study cooking at a little school there and have a f- more of a French experience. Uh-huh. So I was an au pair in a home oh, really? in Paris for a while. And then I came back and I went to the Culinary Institute in New York. Okay. This predates the, uh, the Greystone. Yeah. yeah. So you got your training... So you've trained... Yeah, I'm, I'm a dropout, a CIA dropout. Uh-huh. I came to the West Coast uh, partway through my that training period, and I just never... I got a job here, things were going great, and I thought, I don't really have to have that diploma. So right, I right. stayed uh, here in the Bay Area and went to work in restaurants. I worked at Chez Panisse, mm-hmm. uh, which was the best school I could have gone to. It yeah, was I would an imagine. amazing training ground. You know, for a culinary school dropout, you've done pretty well. So well, yeah, I'm sure you can get... You know, I'm not trying to you know disparage the the institute, but actually getting into a kit a working kitchen must have been a, a great 
way to learn the craft, the skills? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I valued the culinary education that I got in, in school, but um, what you learn in the real world in a restaurant kitchen is just invaluable. And especially in a kitchen like that where there was yeah. a different menu every day, you never did the same thing twice. So I had the opportunity over a couple of years to work with a lot of different kinds of ingredients and the best, you know, just the best ingredients. It really spoiled me. I would imagine. Did you have a specialty in that kitchen? I did the saute line oh. up in the cafe when the cafe f it opened. The so upstairs, it was yeah. wild. Yeah, it Ooh. was uh, How so? so fast paced because it was incredibly fast paced. That I've, The cafe's always been busy, but you can imagine in the first year it was just unreal the crowds that came there and uh famous people coming in mm -hmm. and just and then in the midst of that do they want to come in the kitchen and say hi well it was an open kitchen so it, uh, upstairs in the cafe it was, it was okay. open okay so there's an open cooking line so that was the other thing you know you had to be really well, neat so and there. tidy because everybody could see what you were doing <laughs> and no sticking your fingers in the sauce and <laughs> So how did you taste behavior. the sauce? I actually have well, to take a spoon. A spoon. Uh, a spoon. How uncivilized. Right. I don't know any chefs who use spoons. <laughs> you just certainly don't want to see what goes on behind closed doors in a kitchen, no. in a restaurant kitchen. I always wonder that um, bartenders, you know, they always have a little tasting stir stick they stick in and taste. But you wonder on enclosed bars, they're just putting it to their lips and... That'll taste fine. Send that Mai Tai out there. Whoa. Well, over yeah. the course of a long evening, that could be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I have stories about that, but let's get back to you. So Chez Panisse, certainly, I mean, you are at, basically, you've mentioned trendsetting. That was a trendsetting restaurant. You're using the finest ingredients, one of the original farm-to-table concepts. That must have really shaped your whole view of what food is, can be. It really did, Judd. I would say it... Um shaped how I think about food, uh, and it, it uh, introduced me to the pleasures of gardening oh. because uh, they were getting all this wonderful fresh produce coming in from farms that in those days were not much more than big gardens. Mm. Uh, people brought stuff in from their backyard, so I got excited <laughs> about growing things myself, and that's been part of my life ever since. I hear that happens more often than I would expect, where there's specials of the day at all kinds of fine dining establishments that either the chef or a loyal customer has just grown in the garden and brought in? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know so much anymore since I'm not tied into the restaurant scene, yeah. but it was certainly the case there that people would show up at the back door with uh, <laughs> wild mushrooms, of course. Oh, boy. And uh, salad me. greens. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. Rightly so. I mean... If someone shows up, I've got some mushrooms, you want to cook these up? And... Yeah, the chef needs to know his or her mushrooms and in I would this imagine, case they did yeah. but yeah <laughs> okay don't even want to imagine not where i take a risk no 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 so what other okay so mushrooms uh what else would oh, show up you know things that people had uh, this was berkeley of course so people had fruit trees in their garden or maybe they had a weekend home in sonoma and would bring down some prunes or mm. you know whatever uh, but uh now i'm sure chez panisse it's more systematized you know, they have their growers they you know, they have needs in terms of quantities that don't make it all that feasible for somebody to walk in with uh, yeah, a few pounds of raspberries. Right, I understand. But I could see if you're doing a, a daily menu, I guess you wouldn't need things to last a few days. If no, somebody just came yeah. in with a couple bunches of some They always figured something. out a way to use it if yeah. it was good. So that was, And that's a pleasure for the cooks, too, to have that kind of daily challenge where you're creating, you're not... Uh, 
doing the same menu day after day. And uh, that was the excitement of working in that cafe upstairs. Joyce Goldstein was my boss. Now mm-hmm. she's a famous uh, cook sure. and food writer. Sure. And Just did uh, she come out with her book about California uh, she cuisine? Had, uh, she had done a book. Oh, you mean the new the book? New, her new book. Yeah, 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 that she's come out with a few months ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very uh, good read that details. Well, for one thing, I learned a, a, a lot about what was going on behind closed doors at Japanese that I oh. didn't know. Are you mentioned by name? I I, I, I just picked it up by name. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm gonna get to it. I'm gonna start reading that. I, I just picked it up, so I'm glad you yeah. mentioned. No, I'll it's look a good for read. You. Any, any previews, anything I should know about? Well, <laughs> there was, you know, it was a good time. This was pre-AIDS in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. I was there in 80 to 82, and there was just a lot of shenanigans. Yeah, I'll just say I, that, a lot yeah, of shenanigans. Okay, I'll read the book. Maybe I don't Maybe I don't want to read the book. I don't want to know what goes on in the kitchen, my goodness. <laughs> okay. Um, but I can imagine having that menu change daily, just spur the creativity. You never get caught in any kind of rut or tedium. Yeah, you get comfortable with improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just taking what you have and making something you know, tasty from it. And sharpen your skills. So, so I'm curious, at what point was it in France while you're working as the au pair? Was it coming to California? At what point did you realize this is going to be my life? I'm, I'm on the path of food appreciation, food immersion, food writing, the, the whole thing, cooking. How, how did you decide food was going to be your path in life? Well, I actually figured it out in college. I was mm-hmm. headed to business school or law school. You know, I knew I needed to de- do something like that to please my parents. Okay, food so, loving was not your major. N- no. Okay. Uh, but I spent my senior year in college cooking for one of the residence halls. I didn't have very many credits left to do, so I went to school very much part-time, and I spent the year as a cook for a residence hall. And oh. I thought, if I can get through this experience, cooking <laughs> every day for 60 We're talking about a, a dorm? Uh, it was a fancy new dorm. Yeah, there were 60 students. I would imagine. I mean, dorm food does not have a good no, rep. It, uh, but I you know, did my best. I tried to yeah. be creative, and I thought, that if I can get great... to the end of this year and still love to cook, then this is what I need to do. And so lucky I never filled kids. out the business school application. You didn't. And that was, I filled out a cooking school application. Oh, my. I was off and running, and I've never second-guessed this decision no. It was absolutely the right one. No, obviously, you know, I've every time I run into you, you're smiling. So you've you know chosen a good else path. Funny? I just, um, my husband just brought home a book mm-hmm. that he found online. I can't remember. The, I think it's called Family Winemakers of Cal- California or something like that. It's from like the late 70s. It okay. was written by Nate Croman, who's oh, sure. long deceased. Yeah, famous I wine said, writer. Doug, though. I remember reading that book. Uh, when I was at the Culinary Institute, so this would have been in like 79, and it was profiles of winemakers, California winemakers, and I read it, and they just seemed to be have such a wonderful life, and I said to myself, I want to marry a winemaker Wow! after reading that book. And you done did it. I done did it. <laughs> you really set out. Like You got on the food path, you married the winemaker, you're living in Napa Valley, not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> So much I want to ask you about. I'm trying to figure, because I know we have to take a break in a few minutes, but let's start on this path, and then maybe we can pick it up again. But how did you get into cheese? I mean, you are known really as a, or maybe the expert of cheese around here or anywhere. You are the big cheese in the world of cheese. 
Well, How did this happen? It happened. Not, this I didn't plan. Okay. Uh, but I was, as a journalist, always looking for trends. And about maybe 12 years ago, I was looking for another book idea. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that uh, cheese was happening. That a lot of restaurants mm -hmm. were doing cheese courses, more sophisticated cheese courses. I mean, you're too young to remember this, but in the old days, if you went to a restaurant and there was cheese at all, it was at the bottom of the menu, and it was a cold a piece of brie that came out of the refrigerator. Maybe that, put a couple grapes next yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. I do so, remember that, actually. You know, it, 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 cheese was starting to come on as a trend, and I noticed it, and I did a little book called The Cheese Course, mm -hmm. and uh, that really launched this new uh, sub-specialty, I'll call it, in my food writing. The Chronicle then asked me to do the cheese column. Uh, based so on that book? Based on that. Ah. Well, the fact that they were starting a new section and they wanted some content, and they said, why don't you do a cheese column? So that was maybe 12 years ago. It's a lot of cheeses under the belt. <laughs> I would imagine. Week. What? So how does that work? If you're... Is it? It's a weekly column. It's a weekly column. I just am looking for a cheese I haven't written about before, uh -huh. and uh, you'd think I'm going to run out of cheeses one day, but I they don't keep know. coming. There's a lot of cheeses and a lot of ways to make cheeses. Yeah, and here in Napa Valley, we're so lucky because we have, I think, per capita more great cheese shops than anywhere in the country. It's amazing. Where would you send folks? Well, there's Oxbow. There's uh, Dina DeLuca. Sunshine has an amazing cheese mm -hmm. counter. For a small market, there's uh, Visa Tui, which for the longest time I thought, oh, Visa Tui, it's just for tourists. You know, they just have picnic cheeses, mm -hmm. but that's not true at all. They no. have a remarkable cheese counter if you can, you know, get into the parking lot and get to it. All right, now I'll ask you technically, why are they so great? What makes a good cheese purveyor, cheesemonger? What? Well, at, uh, you know, I think at Sunshine... Uh, James is willing to take risks, so he brings in cheeses that nobody else has. Risky he, cheeses? He has. They're not risky in terms of food safety, but he has to hand sell them because nobody's ever heard of them. I see. So every customer uh, at that cheese counter knows now to come in and say, James, what's new? What are okay. you excited about? Great. And he's always got something fun to share. All right, so someone who's really paying attention. And he's just, you know, willing to take a risk on something because cheese is so perishable. If he can't mm. sell it, he's stuck with it. Got it. So I think, you know, he's w willing to take a risk. His bosses have given him that that leeway. He's got a large inventory, and he's got, of course, an audience yeah. in St. Helena, uh, Up Valley, who are willing to, you know, trust him, who eat a lot of cheese with their wines, and uh, it's... It's just the right formula. But Oxbow also does a very good job. Mm -hmm. uh, a smaller selection, but very choice. Yeah, yeah. I found some really neat stuff that I'd mm -hmm. never heard of at Oxbow. Yeah. Um, to go with wines uh, in particular, which I want to talk to you about that as well after we come back from our break. But before we go to the break, I'm turning over to Gordon Lustig, who's sitting here with a ukulele. He's furiously writing down... That's I don't know what you're writing. List. I don't know. Where oh, it's a shopping list? Doing a you're, show? Oh, you're talking about cheese. Oh, so I wasn't paying attention. Do you have something you'd like to... That was, I, that's not true. I was listening. Would you like to favor us with a, with a song? Well, I'm working on a... I, I, I started working on a song, but I also have a limerick I was inspired by, by Lauren. So why, why don't I read the limerick? Is that okay? Sure, and then we'll come back to your song well, in the second half. Well, I'm working half. on the song. We'll see if we can get to the song. But uh, Okay, a limerick. A little limerick uh, goes like this. Our senses respond to what pleases 
your ears will perk up to what she says. Ms. Fletcher inspires life's deepest desires, and you'll salivate to all the cheeses. Oh, I love nicely it. Nicely done, Gordon. I Thank love it. All right. That's Gordon Lustig. We'll be back with more of this cheesy Judd's Napa Valley show right after these messages. What goes great with good cheese and fine wine? It's Judd's Napa Valley show with special guest Janet Fletcher. That's right. Thanks, Lauren. We have Janet Fletcher here. As I said, terrible, terrible pun, but the big cheese in the world of cheese, that's who you are. How, how, are you sick of hearing that? I'll bet you get that all the time, don't you? Uh, I, you know, no, I'm not sick of hearing it. People call me Madame Fromage sometimes. <laughs> that sounds a little pompous. <laughs> it sounds fancier, I guess, a little better than the big cheese. I think Madame Fromage. Uh, Gordon Lustig, our mad musical genius, is sitting next to you. He gave a limerick just now, but now he's looking through your latest book called simply Cheese and Beer. Yes, it's a follow-up to another one I did called Cheese and Wine. And it uh, I chose this topic, cheese and beer, because beer, craft beer mm-hmm. is coming on like gangbusters. Yeah, it's huge. We have just surpassed in this country uh, the number of craft breweries that we had right before Prohibition. So, you know, we've finally come back. Yeah, Believe back, it or not. I mean, back in those days, there was a, a craft brewery on every corner. Every town had its own brewery yeah. because it wasn't that easy to transport beer before, you know, refrigeration and refrigerated mm-hmm. trucks and so forth. So, But then after Prohibition, they closed and most of them never reopened. And beer got very consolidated. There were only a handful of brewers in this country. Yeah. And now it is totally, the tide has turned, and there are new breweries opening every moment. We're about to get two new ones in Napa. Two new ones, yeah. and we already have three, I believe. Do we have, uh, I don't know. Well, there's, there's downtown, downtown Joe's. We've there's got Napa, Napa Smith, Smith, and then there's the Napa Point. I well, oh, I was counting. Napa Point is uh, good, you know, moving into downtown Napa, okay, so that's so. very exciting. And mm-hmm. then the... Um, Fellow from Zuzu oh. is opening a pizza place and brewery. I mean, a paella place oh, and paella. brewery yeah, downtown. So, Mick. That'll be fun. So, yeah. Can't cool. wait for that one. Well, so you're, you're riding this tide. It's great. So, of course, you know, wine and cheese, classic pairing throughout the ages. How does one approach cheese and beer. And then I'm going to come back and ask you how you approach cheese and wine, yeah, too. Cheese I'm and curious. beer is actually easier. The it is. beer is a little more um, compatible across the board. It's easier match. I think partly because the carbonation is so refreshing and cleansing, mm-hmm. so it cleans your palate after all that fat. And there's a bigger range of flavors in beer, I think, than there than there is in wine. Um, so I found it easier to make the matches once you understand the beer styles. So that's what I tried to do in the book is to, for people who are not that familiar with different beer styles, to outline a couple of dozen of the most common ones like IPAs, amber ales, uh, you know, and so forth, and pilsners, and um, describe what you're going to find in that style and then the kinds of cheeses that go best with it and why. Okay, cool. And very simply titled, Cheese and Beer. That's so it. folks can go find that. That's Just look it. for Janet Fletcher's Cheese and Beer. You're thumbing through that right now, Gordon. Have you learned anything so far? Uh, yeah. I'm going to actually maybe buy her copy that's here t- today. Oh, is that right? You are, <laughs> A sale. You're sold. I'm sold. And, yeah. I mean, I've always said that, you know, beer is, you know, hardly wine. And there's actually a chapter right here on page nine. It's called uh, Barely Wine. It says oh, bar- bar- barely oh wine. goodness. 
barley wine. The barley wine. Barley wine. <laughs> oh, barley wine. I was, the book was so interesting. I was reading through it so fast. I you missed. missed yeah. You added an E. <laughs> um, barley wine is uh, kind of cold. It's a good... A, this weekend would be a good time to have a barley wine. These yeah. are very high alcohol wines. A big, rich. They are like after dinner wines mm-hmm. for sipping, and they go great with really intense, rich cheeses like aged goudas, blue cheeses. Often the barley wines are spiced, mm. um, and they're they're really dessert. Yes, um, Napa Smith makes one that I've had, and to me, it is like drinking dessert because it's it's hearty. It's rich. It's it's kind of filling. You know, you can't mm. drink it if you're already too full from dinner. But it's a it's a great finish. Yeah. Or instead of a port. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of a meal, bring out your cheese uh, tray and open a barley wine. Okay. Now cheese and wine. I know you've got a book about that as well. Well, I do. What's, and what's like I'm your a, basic you know, approach? I'm an equal opportunity drinker. Is <laughs> okay. what I what I think. There are times when I want a beer and times when I want wine. I, I would say because I'm married to a winemaker, wine <laughs> is our kind of default position with dinner. But, um, and we always have cheese. Now, uh, I am a red wine lover, and especially at the end of the meal, which is when I typically serve cheese, I'm more in a red wine frame of mind. Mm-hmm. So I tend to serve red wines with cheeses because in the progression of the meal, mm-hmm. that's where I am. I'm, I'm into red wine. Yeah, it makes sense. That said, it's really nice sometimes to start a meal with a glass of sparkling wine and a little chunk of something, like some Vela Dry Jack or some Parmigiano-Reggiano, just a little something to nibble on. and uh, a glass Folks, of take notes wine. for your next party. She just yeah, gave a couple of recommendations. That I love. Um, but I'm more inclined to have cheese after the main course when your appetite's a little sated, but mm-hmm. not entirely, and you're not going to eat, you know, too much cheese. <laughs> if you put the cheese out at the start of the, you know, for an appetizer, with a, I think a lot of people do, yes. you fill up to you're starved, and you eat way too much cheese, right? And then you can't enjoy your meal. So I think of it as more dessert. Uh, that's how you would have it if you came to my house. We'd have a cheese plate at the end. Right, right. As you said, it gives you a chance to kind of hang out at the table mm-hmm. a little longer. New trend. Not really a trend, but uh, something's been with us a long time, but certainly getting much more press these days, is the craft cocktail. Do you have any cheese and cocktail advice? All right. Here's my problem with today's cocktails, and it's that they're sweet. They're almost ah. all sweet. And so I don't find them that harmonious with cheese. But, you know, maybe something like a triple cream that's going to mm, kind of... That's kind of a desserty cheese anyway, yeah. and then you've got this sweet cocktail. Some, I think a dry, the kind of drinks my parents drank, like scotch and soda. Right, or Manhattan. Uh, yeah, that were very, well, that can be a little, a little sweet, sweet too, but, uh, you know, just a, yes. a bourbon, and bourbon, you know, just bourbon with yeah. a little bit of soda or, or uh, uh, you know, wa- water. Um, my parents drank scotch and soda. Okay. And very dry. And I think that has a lot of uh, possibilities with cheese. All right. Because the peatiness in the scotch would mm. go great with um, some of the nuttier cheeses, the alpine cheeses like Comte and Gruyere, mm. or with uh, Gouda-type cheeses that are a little caramelly, I think would be great with the smoky peat. Oh, yeah. That sounds fun. Uh, yeah. Okay. Another, another way it looks like this country is going now that a uh, couple states have gone that way. How about cheese and weed? 
Oh, man, did you come to the wrong person? What? I not only never inhaled, I mean, I never, never. I, I, I come to the wrong person on that one. I guess once, well, me too. I have very, very little experience with that, but I would imagine once you've ingested enough of the smoke, it probably doesn't matter what cheese you're, <laughs> you just I, you want know, lots of it. Yes, it's, it's another pleasure, so why not? Sure. Putting two pleasures together. I like that. Pleasurable experiences. All right, so we talked about a couple of your books Tell us what else is in, the, in your library of tomes that you've authored. Well, one of the most fun projects I ever worked on came out last year. It's called Margaret Mondavi's Sketchbook. Oh, I had beat the me opportunity to, <laughs> to work with the fabulous Margaret Mondavi on her memoir. And I'm so proud of that book. And I'm she's pleased. So that's oh, the best that's thing. It's beautiful. It's filled with her artwork and some archival photos from the winery. Uh, a lot of her menus, which she always illustrated. They're very charming. And just, she's the best storyteller. And so it's full full of stories from her childhood on up through uh, you know the present day, all about her, the travels with Bob, the love affair with Bob, mm. Uh, you know, disappointments, wonderful experiences, the the great chef's uh, experience at the winery. It's, it's it's I think it's a really uh, good read. It's got a great title: Sketchbook Reflections on Wine, Food, Art, Family, Romance, and Life. Yeah, that kind of covers a lot of ground, yeah, doesn't it? You know, you're going to hear it all. Now, while you were working with her, putting that together, did you find that she was very forthcoming with stories? Did you have to draw things out? How does that work when you're when you're you know trying to write a book with somebody who who's who's going from life experience? How do you get it out of them onto the page? Well, we sat down with a tape recorder and a pot of tea most days, uh. and I would just prod her with questions because she would have a story. Often, it would be a story she had told many times. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think by asking more questions, I would get a little more depth and breadth in the story. Uh, and she didn't always know where, you know, where her best stories were. Uh, she would mention something and I would say, oh, tell me more about that. Uh, tell me more about your, you know, your dad okay. and the time when, you know, tell me. Her dad was a, a homeopathic not a doctor, but he he made pills. These little oh. pills. This is back, you know, like the, compounding his own. Uh, the, yes, he was, yeah. and she would. She and her mother would count out the pills and put them in the bottles, and no they kidding. were for all sorts of mysterious ailments that people had, and supposedly these pills would would cure it. And she's still but, doing that via wine. That's right, yeah. a new kind of medicine. <laughs> that's right. So, and we actually have another project up our sleeve. She has another book idea, so we're oh. about to launch on another, another book project. How fun! That yeah. must have just been a, a great experience. She's a delight. She's uh, she has given me another picture of how one can grow old. Yeah. With. Uh, you know, passion and a never-ending desire to learn and to meet new people. I mean, she still gets up every day and thinks, who am I going to meet today? And mm. what am I going to learn today? Wow. And I find that very inspiring. How wonderful. What a great attitude. Mm-hmm. To put the bug in, see if we can get her down here. Maybe we can talk oh, to her about she's that. She's a fascinating storyteller. Just wind her up and off she'll go. And she's still doing you know, a lot of art. She's still mm-hmm. painting. Um does wonderful uh, watercolors, which will be part of the next book. Oh, wonderful. I imagine that's available through the usual outlets? Not exactly. It's no. mostly available at the winery. It's always available at the winery. At the and, Robert uh, winery. Yeah, they may have it at Copperfields, and they have it at uh, Thomas Bartlett's new store on um, on Main Street, downtown okay. Napa. Right, and then your other books? 
My other books are out and about. I never exactly know where, uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're all on Amazon and or all the ones in print are on Amazon. And they uh, Chimney Rock Winery tends to have a good. Co- co- uh, I wonder why. Collection. Yeah. <laughs> Your husband being winemaker there. He works there, there but yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's there are always quite a few at Chimney Rock. Uh, you just recently also did one about eating local. Yes, that was another fun project. Uh, that I did with Sir La Table, the cookware store. Mm-hmm. They wanted to promote the concept of you know, supporting local food. And so uh, with a Sir La Table colleague, I went around the country a couple summers ago to... Um, visit small farms across America. And the book is a collection of profiles of these small farms that are selling direct to consumers. Those, you know, the boxes that people subscribe to, you get a box once a week, a CSA, exactly, community-supported agriculture. So it's about that uh, phenomenon of community-supported agriculture, and the recipes are all um, primarily Mm produce-based. If you shop at a farmer's market or you participate in a CSA or you have a garden and grow a lot of your own produce, uh, the book would be useful because it's got a lot of fresh ideas for using it does. seasonal produce. I, I know from firsthand experience, I happen to have that book. I've really enjoyed reading through it. You learn about the, the, the farms and the farmers and where does this food come from? And it really solves, I think, a problem that many people have. And I see Facebook posts about this all the time about I got my box, meaning that you're, their CSA box. Okay, I know what to do with this, and I know what to do with that. What am I supposed to do with this? Or, please help. I need an idea. This box is going to go bad. And you yeah, can read your book and be full of ideas and yeah. inspiration. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the um, I think pluses and minuses of a CSA. It it uh, you may end up with. Uh, five pounds of kale in your box, and you may see that as a negative at first, but it forces you to go outside, your, cook outside your comfort zone. Yes. And to try some different things, try some fruits and vegetables you may never have tried before. So I think it's a good little nudge to yeah. get beyond your comfort zone. And that book's called Eating Local. Eating Local. All right. That's a good one to check out if you're a fan of the farmer's market. I can't imagine anybody wouldn't be, um, or if you have a CSA subscription you also teach people. Folks can learn about cheese and food from you firsthand. A series of classes, right? Yeah, I teach around and about. My next uh, class is at Ramekins in Sonoma oh, next yeah. week. It's going to be really fun. It's a cheese and beer class. Oh, great. And a uh, special guest is the uh, from Lagunitas Brewing. No kidding. He's bringing some things that uh, you know you don't normally see in the store, Some, um, uh, including a mystery brew. I don't know what's going to show up, Ooh. but something and fun from that Lagunitas, they're working on. Lagunitas, you never know. Oh, you never know, but you can count on it being well-made and delicious. What do you think, Lauren? I know you're a beer fan, and you spend time in Sonoma, the the other radio station where you do announcements. Right, ninety one point three K. Oh, you don't have to plug. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. You can you can plug. But I'm saying you could swing over, have a little cheese and beer uh, oh, class sure. with Janet. Sure, Judd. And by the way, speaking yeah. of beer, Judd and Janet, I think our good friend Colin Kamitsky of Downtown Joe's, who follows us after us. I think he's actually listening right now in the lobby. Sorry, Colin. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll get them involved one of these days too. Um, so these, these classes are ongoing. This is with Ramekins, but you've done some at local yeah, restaurants. Yeah, I, I have. I have. I had a series at Fish Story. I post my classes on my website, which is JanetFletcher.com, and uh, got some coming up in Petaluma in March. And I'm always looking for a host. I'll just put that out there. Uh, I'm always looking for a host for, for classes, okay. you know, whether it's a winery or I do occasionally teach at wineries mm-hmm. for their wine club members right. or what have you. Uh, I teach at this uh, cheese school of San Francisco, so wherever I'm asked, basically. But I'm also, uh, 
you know, would love to find a permanent home for some classes in Napa Valley. That would be very cool. And folks can certainly contact you, I imagine, through JanetFletcher.com. Absolutely. And while you're there, there's really great recipes, too. A couple weeks ago, I went on uh, in search of something. I know you were going to be on the show, so I wanted to at least make something that you had recommended off your website and made a delicious, um, you know, uh, pasta fagiole. Yeah, with um, went down to one of my former guests, Steve Sando, went down and bought some beans from him and uh, put together this beautiful soup that's on your website, and it was it was great. No, I'm so glad you made that. Thank yeah. you for steering us in the right direction to a delicious and nutritious meal. It is, beans and greens. Yeah. It doesn't get much more uh, <laughs> healthful than that. <laughs> no, no, and there's many more recipes that looked looked fabulous. So tonight I have been invited to a fondue party. Fond, do you fondue? I, I've been known to fondue you, um, you know. Uh, the hostess has promised to do a hot oil and meat fondue, but then has asked some of the folks coming to bring a cheese concoction. Help me, please. Well, as with so many things in life, you're going to get out of this fondue what you put into it. So the better the cheese you buy, the better your fondue is going to be. All right. And the typical cheeses would be the Swiss mountain cheeses like Emmental, Conte, Gruyere. Mm -hmm. There's some, uh, and uh, Fontina, you could put some Fontina in it. That's uh, Italian. But um, I would definitely go buy a good piece of Conte, uh, an cave-aged Conte, okay. and uh, right. not not the inexpensive stuff you get at the supermarket, but go to a good cheese store and ask for some aged Conte, Conte. and that's going to really elevate your fondue. Okay. And you know what else always goes in fondue is a little bit of kirsch at the end. Yes, I have read that. I will do that. That's, that's the secret. That's like the cherry liqueur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just gives it that final little je ne sais quoi. Ooh, we love je ne sais quoi. And this is just a little, you're talking like a little splash, a dash. Yeah, well, right? you know, it depends on how oh, how big your pot I is. So, but yeah. yeah, just enough so it's a hint. Okay. Okay, thank a you. A whisper. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to go to one of these cheese shops that you recommended a few minutes ago. I'm going to pick up a little bottle of Kirsch. And I'm kind of off to the races, right? Uh, wine? I know some people yeah, put some white, white wine. wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need some white wine in there. The kirsch is just at the, at the end. Um, you need some white wine. You, a couple of different mix of cheeses is good. Okay. So if you had some Conte, you might also, uh, you might put some Fontina in there. You might put, depending on what the shop had, uh, Vacherin Free Bourgeois, oh, yeah. if they have some of that. Wonderful. I've actually heard of that one. Alpine cheese. Um you could do anything. You could put some goat cheese in there if you like. Mm. You just need, you need a good melting, a good melting cheese. And uh, the type of bread, what would you dip in there? Oh, I would keep the bread simple. Okay. I wouldn't do anything that had seeds on it yeah. or fruit in it. Um, Let the I cheese just be would the just, star. You know, your basic Acme baguette, okay. uh, something like that, would be would be good. Or. Um, uh, nothing that had any fat in it, no olive oil, just you know, flour, water, yeast, and salt kind okay. of bread, country yeah. bread. Mm, I can't wait. Sounds good. What are you going to drink? I don't know. I guess whatever's left in whatever wine I splash in there, some kind of dry white wine. Yeah, white wine is, is typical. Yeah. Would you go with something um, of the, uh, I mean, I think of fondue, I think of like the Swiss Alps or something. So would you would you go with something kind of Germanic, Alsatian? That would, would be you? lovely. Riesling, yeah. I think, sounds very yeah. good. 
a Riesling from yeah. Napa Valley. Well, of course, we, we have wouldn't... a couple, but yeah, mm-hmm. have, get, get a bottle of that Trefethen dry Riesling. I think that would be lovely. Okay, now speaking of Napa Valley, you do live here. And you garden here. I'm sure you grow much of the food being what we just talked about, your background. So do you grow a lot of your own food? I do. And you know what's happened uh, lately? And this might be interesting for people to think about. uh, My garden, as it has grown up and the trees have grown up, the vegetable area has gotten more and more shady. Mm. And so I had an issue. I couldn't grow a lot of the things I wanted to grow. So Work that I'll... into your song, Gordon. She lives in a shady neighborhood. <laughs> here exactly. In Napa. Okay. I have some sun, but not enough. So I have a friend who uh, lives about five minutes away, and she had a lot of space that mm-hmm. she wasn't using, sunny space. So I'm a sharecropper now. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yes, I garden at her place, and she provides the water from her well, and uh, I do the labor, and we split the harvest, except she never takes very much. <laughs> but I think this is a nice solution for people. Absolutely. If you don't, if maybe you live in an apartment, mm-hmm. but you have a friend who has a little bit of ground that it, they're not doing anything with. Yeah. So you put in the labor and give them some of the, the harvest, and it's a nice it's little It's very neighborly and yeah. community-minded. Mm-hmm. What do you like to do for fun here when you're not eating and drinking fabulous uh-huh. food? Well, I break for antique stores. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I love just puttering around going... Hello. Do you have an Should eye for anything specific? Furniture, mm-hmm. tchotchkes? Well, we collect mortars. Mort- oh, like mortar yeah. and pestles, yeah, yeah. you know, and everywhere we go when we travel, we try to bring back a mortar. But I'm always looking as well in shops for some interesting mortar that I don't have. Uh, yeah, they're, they're hand tools that I really like. I, I like to use them, but they're also very um, sculptural. Mm-hmm. And I've got them all out in the kitchen, and they just give me a lot of pleasure to look at. Very cool. It seems very basic to, to food. I think of... You know, people who lived on this land a long time ago collecting seeds and nuts and acorns and grinding that into their food and kind of get back to the roots of it. It's the slow food concept. Everything tastes better when you put a little bit of elbow grease into it. You know, when you pound your peppercorns or pound your garlic um, for pesto, it tastes better. It tastes better. Speaking of tasting good, grease, Janet Fletcher, multi-James Beard award-winning cookbook author, cheese columnist, food aficionado. Do you go nuts for donuts? I hoped you would bring up well, donuts. He, well, Janet, he's bringing a pink box to you right now as I speak. I okay. have not had a donut. I've opened this up. I have to be honest. Um, the selection today, buttercream was mobbed. And there weren't oh, it's many. Valentine's. There's a Valentine of oh, I shaped see the one chocolate. I want. There is a well. You just pick whichever one you want. I want this big fat. I want the biggest one. Yeah, and you can see, go ahead. You can take that. That is the apple fritter. There's oh, a piece whew. missing on top. It was. Oh, it was, oh, oh no, how no, did this it, happen? Well, there was it was a mouse. It was in a big mouse. Box. Actually, it was it was done cleanly, sanitarily <laughs> with a with a kitchen knife. Um, uh, but I, I couldn't help myself. I haven't oh, had an apple fritter. Well, so we we're sharing. It's the community taste. mindedness That's we're right. sharing. Oh, good, Judd. Not I'll this share, time. I'll okay. share this humongous so, with you. There you go. You're having a bite of that. Give us the cheese pairing. Oh, it would be easier to give you a beer pairing. <laughs> Can Fine, I give you a beer please. pairing? Yeah, why not? Um, mm. And then the cheese pairing to that beer. <laughs> well, this donut is quite sweet and greasy. <laughs> yeah. And so we need the beer is going to help cut the grease because of the carbonation. I think we want to match the sweetness. So I think we need a Belgian beer mm. that's got uh, like a Belgian double. Uh, what comes to mind 
from Anderson Valley Brewing Company, Brother David's Double. Okay. And it has, it's dark, and it's got kind of dried fruit aromas, spice aromas, bake mm. shop aromas, I call them, like, you know, clove oh, yeah. and coriander, and um, a lot of malt. That apple fritter. And, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, thanks for the tip. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. Or a similarly themed Mad Libs style fill-in-the-blanks game. Janet Fletcher, I think you know how this works, and you are a writer, so I have no doubt you will excel at this word game. First, I'm going to need a noun. Ooh, the pressure's on. Yes. There are only a few uh, hundred thousand, millions of nouns yeah. to choose from. Let's go with something foodie. Okay. Coconut. Coconut. Okay. Coconut. Perfect. An adjective? I can't imagine how many adjectives you've written in your life about yeah, cheeses and beers know, and wines. Yeah, writers are cautious with our adjectives. You try yeah. not to use too many adjectives or adverbs. Make them good ones. How about manipulative? I like all the syllables. Manipulative. Five That's syllables. Manipulative. Wow. Okay. It's fun to say. Kind of. Anyhow. Uh, a, a, uh, oh, no. What is this? I got ahead of myself. A plural noun. Mm. Well, I think I will do something that um let's bring some let's bring some Latin in. Okay. And some gardening. How about cacti? Cacti. The plural of cactus. Yes, a nice succulent. Uh another plural noun? Mm. Well, I I guess I'm into these multisyllabic words let's these have days. It. I Candelabras. <laughs> Candelabras. Liberace would be proud. Okay. Uh, almost done here. Two more. An adjective? Hmm. Mm. Well, I don't know why this comes to mind, but uh, flirtatious. Flirtatious. What is what is that apple fritter done to you? I love That's it. True. Yeah. <laughs> and then okay. the beer, if I just had yeah. the beer, who knows what would happen? Look out, world. Okay, a verb ending in ing. Uh, let's do a verb ending in ing. Well, since fr- flirtatious is on my mind, how about kissing? Right. Isn't that sweet? That is very sweet. And now, Janet, I actually went on to janetfletcher.com. And pulled out a piece of your bio, which you have now just rewritten via this Mad Libs game. Are you ready? Uh, I don't know, but uh, let's try. These are your words written in the first person. Uh. I am now speaking as Janet Fletcher. I live, cook, garden, and write on a quiet street in Napa Valley. My house is not large. But my coconut is. <laughs> no, sounds, well, this sounds X-rated already. Well, hey, it's your words. And my manipulative garden is bigger yet. <laughs> Here I develop and test cacti for cookbooks. Oh, I like cactus paddles, actually. Well, there you go. We can steer us towards some recipes. Okay, uh, for cookbooks and magazine features. Uh, evaluate candelabras for my weekly San Francisco Chronicle <laughs> column. A, limited, a very brief column. <laughs> yeah. Ran once and prepared dinner nightly with my winemaker husband. In my garden, a terraced landscape of roses, fruit trees, and flirtatious vegetable beds, (laughs) I find inspiration daily for kissing. Oh, yes. (laughs) 
and an antidote to deadline stress. This sounds like a much more interesting life than I actually <laughs> lead. Well done. Normally, that would be the end of our show, but because we have, and thank you for being a good sport through that. That was really good. Oh, Fun one. My pleasure. Well, we do have Mr. Gordon Lustig, who has been sitting here, and the whole time you have been writing stuff down. As you said, it was a grocery list, but I have a feeling maybe you've come up with a song based on today's show. Yes, loosely based. Loosely based. Well, get up in that mic. I would love to sing a song that had all of the brilliant... (laughs) I thought I was close to this microphone. Am I close to the microphone? You're good. Okay. So uh, uh, I I thought I wrote something that had lyrics that uh, incorporated all of the wonderful language that's in the book and that you know. But I don't know that stuff. So I had to go with (laughs) what was right here and accessible. And it turned into really a uh, commercial. Okay. Is what I wrote a commercial little commercial jingle, to the tune of a song from um in Annie, called that was N Y C. That rings a bell, Gordon. Did I, that ring a bell? It was. I was in that play last year in Sonoma. Wow, which part were you, uh, Daddy? I was, I was Franklin D. Roosevelt. Frank, I can see that. Yes, I can the hear that. The only thing too. we have to fear is fear yeah. itself. <laughs> So did you? Would you like me to play this? What I have so far, this commercial. I think jingle? that's a great idea. Okay. It goes it goes like this, something like this. I've never played it, so we'll see what happens. Okay. Oh. Cheese and beer, not much more. Not much more. I'm asking. It smells. It soothes. It pours. Cheese and beer. In those I can bask in. And now the book is yours. Available everywhere books are sold. Or from Janet herself. The perfect gift for the young and the old. It's leaping off the shelf. Oh, cheese and beer by Miss Janet Fletcher. It's on my lap. It's not an app. (laughs) Relax with cheese and beer. Yeah! That's just the most lovely thing anyone's ever written for me. I am delighted beyond words. Thank you. I think a lovely note, pun intended, to end this show on. Janet Fletcher, thank you very much for being our guest. Gordon Lustig, thank you very much for always contributing fine music and creativity to the show. Lauren, as always, a pleasure to have you announcing and be um, in the studio with you, sir. Thank you, Judd. We'll see you next week, huh? Sure, Judd. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gillamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.